1: Well, Welcome, North Canton Chapel family. It is Sunday morning, and uh, we're super glad that you're here, uh, kind of here. You're, you're, you're viewing online. This is our second week doing this. And um, for our time in God's Word this morning, um, we have a really cool thing that we're going to try and do. So um, because of you know how our, our, our Sunday mornings have changed, because of kind of this new flow of trying to do things online, um, this presents some new opportunities for us. And one of those opportunities is you get to hear from voices that you haven't heard yet and um, at least in a preaching sense. And so today, uh, Ryan Irvin and I are gonna kind of team teach through this third week of solas. Uh, for those of you who don't know Ryan, Ryan's been a pastoral resident here at the North Canton Chapel for a little over a year. Um, you've been teaching in a bunch of different contexts. You've had a ton of ministry experience. And so um, today, I'm, I'm glad that we get to walk through this text together. Um, so we're going to get to the text in a little bit, but before we go there, Ryan's going to kind of give us a little intro. Um, this is going to be interesting, just to bear with us. I talk with my hands a lot, <laughs> in case you guys don't know that, and so while we were setting everything up in here, we were debating, am I going <laughs> to slap you in the face, or how's this going
2: to go? I know, we just can't at the same time, I think. Right, we have right. to figure this yeah, out. Yeah, we got to take turns, so, I think.
1: Why yeah. don't you give us an introduction, kind of let us know where we're going to be Yeah, well,
2: hey everyone, uh, I want to begin by seeing if you can guess what I'm about to describe, okay? Now I know it's a bold move to start out with a pop quiz, all right, but here we go, okay? So feel free to comment if you think you know uh, what it is that I'm describing, all right? So, legend has it that they were first used 4,000 years ago to lift buckets of water and to grind grain. Okay, In the first century, the Romans used them to manipulate heavy objects. think you got an idea yet? Yeah? I think I. Have. Okay. Uh, in the 1800s, they were used for punishment, and some argue that this is still their primary purpose, which is going to be funnier once you know what they are. Okay. Uh, next, a U.S. patent number, 1064968, was issued on June 17, 1913, for this. So a quick Google yeah. search might also tell you what we're looking at. Um, at the University of Washington in 1952, Robert Bruce and Wayne Quinton used them to help diagnose heart and lung disease. I think it's a pretty good clue. And then one last one. After reading a 1968 book by Kenneth H. Cooper, mechanical engineer William Staub developed them
1: for commercial home use. All right. Brandon, do you know what they are all right so you're watching online right now on facebook and this is why we have a comment section on facebook (laughs) for things like this for things just like like this this. so if you think you've got an answer go ahead and leave a comment in the comment section and uh, you guys can watch other people's comments come up and see how it's going so um i I have some ideas i'm very interested to see what what people come up with because you've got like colleges getting in on this thing this is an ancient invention so it's been around for a while yeah um i'm very interested to see where it goes. So we've got a couple comments coming in. Um, It's interesting to see how people are responding. (laughs) Um, Why don't you tell us what this thing is? Yeah,
2: so I think that's really all the time we have right now. No, no, (laughs) we're gonna keep going here. We're gonna keep going. Uh, This thing that I'm describing is a treadmill. Treadmill. A treadmill. And I think of, when I think of treadmills, I think of a treadmill on Christmas morning with a big red bow, right? And then I picture a treadmill three months later With still has the big red bow on it, but now it has uh, boxes stacked on it. It has clothes uh, hanging on the arms. It's got clothes drying, draped over it. And so I always like to think of, really, when you get a treadmill, um, I like to think you're not just getting a treadmill, but you're actually adding a closet to your home. I like that. So I think that's kind of what, when I picture a treadmill, that's what what I think of. All right. Um, So yeah, so treadmills was the correct answer. And uh, yeah, hopefully... You knew what we were getting at there. Now, so treadmills, Brandon, as you know, have many advantages, right? And you at home can, can think of those as well. For example, they aid in cardiovascular help. Um, the rate settings force a consistent pace. Uh, progress such as distance, calories burned, heart rate can be tracked. Uh, you can watch TV, right, while you've run. That's an amazing thing. But there is one great disadvantage of treadmills, right? And that is that you don't actually go anywhere, right? It seems like you are, but if you're counting on treadmills for travel, uh, you are going to be sorely, sorely disappointed. Um, if you hop on a treadmill for a three-mile run in the morning, uh, when you step off that treadmill, you weren't really any closer to the place you work than when you started, right? And so you expend a great deal of effort, but there's no change in where you actually are. So, so where are we going with this? Well, the idea is really that our faith can seem the same way. Uh, Many people spend years on the treadmill of life, trying to earn favor with God by their good works, Um, and sadly, even after we become followers of Christ, we are still often driven by what I like to call, what we were talking about, uh, treadmill Christianity, right? We somehow think that that now that we have Jesus as our Savior, now that we know that he saved us from our sin, we still sometimes feel like it's our job to work hard to please him and to continue to gain his favor and i know for me that's an area that i've struggled with in the past maybe you have as well Um, maybe it's even a struggle right now as we face a lot of uncertainty um, as as a nation and as a world Um, but i think what we're going to see today through the passages that we're looking at um, is that our relationship with god is based on our position not our performance right Our, our relationship with god is based on our position, not our performance. And so, yeah, we're currently, as Brandon sort of mentioned here at the beginning, we're in a series called Solas. Uh, sola is Latin for only. And so we've been looking at these five solas that help us form a biblical view of our faith and our walk with God. So if you remember a few weeks ago, we saw the first Sola was Scripture alone, how uh, we saw that we'll never get God's best uh, for us until we really get God's Word in us. Uh, last week we saw grace alone and how important that is. Uh, as our hope for salvation Um, in the coming weeks we'll finish out the series with Christ alone and glory to God alone Uh, but today what we're going to look at is faith alone and as we were discussing this what we really want to ask is the question uh, by what action are we saved and I think that's an incredibly important question for us uh, as we look at scripture Um, and what we're going to see today is that faith in Christ's finished work is the hope for sinners Um, our faith doesn't rest on our accomplishments or our performances, uh, but rather our position in Christ. And so uh, what we're going to do, where we're going to go today is Galatians 2, um, verses 15 through 21. You can go there and um, follow along. The book of Galatians gives us some incredible insights into this question. By what action are we saved? And in just a moment, Brandon's going to read the passage for us. um, But we're sort of dropping into the middle of this letter, okay? Okay. Imagine reading an email and starting right in the middle. You know? So there's a little bit of uh, context that I think will help us. I wanted to share just a few words as we begin uh, to help us understand the context. So uh, the Galatian problem really was that they trusted in their performance, uh, not their position, the very thing that we've been talking about. Okay? The book is written with that in mind. So Paul's writing, and he's rebuking them because they thought their performance is really what gave them a relationship with God, what made them right with God. And as we've seen, Paul is a lawyer. He, he writes like one. And at this point in Galatians 2, he's very deep in the theological discussion when we pick up this text. And so we want to just give a little bit of context. And really what he's describing is two types of people in, in, in this book. There's the Jews who are in covenant with God. They're the people of God. And there's also the Gentiles who are not the Jews. The Gentiles uh, were often looked down upon by the Jews. They were seen as sinners, those outside of God. Um, There's even early on a big question of whether or not if Gentiles could even be saved, if they could even really be in that relationship, and Acts 15 uh, straightens that out. And so, so really when, when Jesus came, and, and, and salvation does include everyone, including Gentiles, that of course began to, there began to arise huge questions as far as what does that mean practically to follow Christ. Okay? As we said, many of the first Christians had more of a Jewish background, and they continued on in somewhat of a Jewish mode of life even after salvation. Okay, and so as Gentiles began to become followers of Christ, it did, it brought up a a lot of questions. Things such as, um, now that they're following Christ, should these Gentiles who have become Christians, should they take on the Jewish way of life, Mm -hmm. right? Observing things like the Mosaic rituals, uh, dietary restrictions. Should they uh, be forced to be circumcised or offer sacrifices, attend the synagogue? You know, all these very practical questions. In other words, really, are Christians required to keep the Old Testament law. That's sort of a big question in Galatians here, right? Um, And the whole argument really comes down to this, the very thing we're talking about. What is it that makes a person a Christian? Is it faith alone in Christ? Or is it faith plus adhering to some principles or practices of Judaism? Um, Maybe the simplest way to put it is, do you need to become a Jew in order to become a Christian? And so Mm -hmm. Paul, that's exactly in this letter what he's sort of describing to us. And he argues strongly that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Um, In the first 14 verses of chapter 2, Paul and Peter, they're they're having this this discussion, uh, and Paul's correcting Peter for having the wrong view of this, right? Peter was only eating with Gentiles when no other Jews were present, but then as soon as Jews arrived, Peter sort of would stop eating with those Gentiles, and, man, Paul says that's wrong. Uh, He he correctly states that it should not be that way. Now, for most of us that woke up this morning, we didn't wake up wondering, hey, should I keep the Old Testament law today? Um, But we may be asking, how do I please God? Right. Yeah. Practically today in, in my life. And so all of that to say, that brings us to yeah. Galatians chapter two, uh, verses 15 through 21. Brandon will read well, let's, that for us.
1: Let's dive in. Hopefully you found your way there. Um, awesome job setting that up, because this is a is kind of like dropping in the middle of an yeah. email. Right. And so here's what it says. Right. And starting in, uh, in Galatians chapter two, verse 15. Uh, this is Paul speaking. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. There's a lot going on there, and Ryan's going to get to that in just yeah. a second. That's a, that's a definitely—you're you're getting Paul as a lawyer right there. Mm-hmm. And then he pivots a little bit. Uh, verse 19, he says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So a lot going on there. Why don't don't you get us started in unpacking this thing and and seeing what God has for us in these couple of verses.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, so there's really three declarations that we're going to see from this passage. Um, And the first declaration we're going to see is found in verses uh, 15 through 18. And that is that I am justified. Okay, the first declaration is I am justified. And just like the Galatians, we want to know how do we have a relationship with God. That's that's a very important, very practical question. And so just like them, we wonder if it's based on our performance, our good works, the the things we do, or is it based on our position in Christ? In other words, who we are in him. Um, And I think this is a good time to talk about really what faith is. Right. We've said that we're saved by faith alone, but what is faith? That's a, a big question as well. And I think um, maybe one way to think of it is that faith is really all about trust. Um, whatever you're sitting on right now, you're putting your faith, your trust that it will hold up, right? Uh, you're trusting in that to, 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 to do something. Um, and I think for us, it is faith that enables that relationship with God. Um, it's what the Bible calls imputed righteousness. In, in other words, we've been made righteous. It's not something we've earned by our good works. Um, and I think maybe another thing to just take a step back for a moment before we see the action by which we are saved, we see that, that is faith alone. Uh, I think we need to understand why we need to be saved in the first place, right? And so uh, quickly, God originally creates everything, right? It sets it up perfectly. Um, mankind chooses to, to sin and disobey and go their own way. Uh, That's called sin, right? Uh, And and that sin is what breaks our relationship with God. But what we see through Scripture is that only God can restore that relationship. And he does that through the person of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus comes to earth, he lives a perfect life, he dies in our place, his death, burial, and resurrection, he overcomes sin. And it's God that puts everything back the way it's supposed to be. Um, Even though our sin separated us from God, God provides a way to have a relationship with him And that's really what we're talking about today, right? And so looking back at Galatians 2, let's pick it up again in verse 16. And Paul writes and says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And as you see there, an important word Paul uses here is justified, right? It's actually four times in verses uh, 16 through 18 alone. So I think that that begs the question, what is justification, right? And so, big word. And so, uh, we'll help break it down here. Justification, it's the act of God where He declares the believing sinner righteous, Mm. and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so it's an act of God where He is the one that declares the believing sinner righteous, and that's through faith in Mm. Jesus Christ. So what this means, very practically, is that God treats believers in Christ as righteous, even though we're sinners, right? And so, an amazing thing, right? In justification, God takes the guilty sinner and declares him righteous. And this justification is only solely through faith in Christ. So God takes the righteousness of Christ and credit it, credits it to our account, right, when we put our faith in him. Now, I think an important point here also is that keep in mind that justification is not, uh, the same as sweeping sin under the rug and pretending like it never existed. That's not what Paul is yeah. talking about. Uh, God knows that sin exists. Right? Sin has a penalty. We saw that. That really is separation from God. But that penalty has been paid, and the record of our sin was paid for by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And in fact, Paul puts it in Second Corinthians five twenty one this way. He says, for, "For our sake, He, meaning God, made Him, referring to Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Right? Christ is perfect." For what purpose well so that in him we me and you all of us might become the righteousness of god and so we are made righteous by trusting in christ by faith faith alone not faith plus what we do but faith in christ alone and so i want to make really quickly here a few points about justification that i think are really important that i think will help us unpack and understand this uh definition a little bit better so so the first point is this first justification is an act not a process Right? No mm-hmm. Christian is more justified than another Christian, mm-hmm. right? You, you are not made more justified tomorrow than you are today. It's a once and for all declaration. Um, and once you are justified, once you are declared righteous, you are justified forever. You don't lose that. Uh, Paul mm-hmm. writes in Romans uh, 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Mm-hmm. So since we are justified by faith, It's instant, it's this immediate transaction between the believing sinner and God that results in what? The peace of God, right? So think of it this way. Um, If we were justified by works, then it would have to be a gradual process, right? Um, It would not lead to peace because you'd never know, have I done enough to please God, Mm -hmm. right? Um, If we were justified by works, one person may be more justified than another person, or you may lose some, or you may gain some. But clearly here, justification is an act not a process, right? Yeah. That, that's by faith alone. second thing that I think is really important is that it is an act of God, right? Not a result of man's character or man's works. Um, Romans 8.33, it is God who justifies. Right? It's mm-hmm. God who does this act, not, not us. And it's not by doing works of the law that, that a sinner gets right with God, has right standing before God, but really by putting their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Paul goes on to explain that, that the law really has more, uh, maybe a greater purpose of revealing sin to us, right? Uh, But also recognizing that that the law cannot redeem us from our sin. Paul says, Romans 3.20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So you see, that's an important point too. I think the law can point out that we fall short, uh, but it cannot justify us. It cannot put us into that right relationship. With God, Okay, so uh, one, one third thing I want to mention, too, in terms of justification. It's clear here from Paul that justification is by faith and not by works, right? Paul describes this idea really from three different angles. Did you see him in verse 16? Go back to verse 16, uh, Galatians 2. It says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So a person is, is not justified by works, but rather through faith. And then look at the second part of verse 16. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. So here it's not just a person, but it's we who are justified by faith in Christ and not works of the law. And then look at the last part there, verse 16. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Right. So here Paul is not just referring to a person or we, but that no one will be justified by works. It's only by faith in Christ. Everybody, right? It sort of levels the playing field there. Um, So Paul makes it clear that we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ uh, and not by the works of the law, right? Not just faith in faith, but faith in Jesus Christ. Now, stop there for a second. You may be wondering, you may be thinking, uh, is this just just sort of cheap grace, right? Mm -hmm. That we don't really have to take our sins seriously. We don't really have to take the price that God paid seriously. Uh, And interestingly, that's exactly what the Galatians were wondering too, because Paul addresses that very thing next in these these, uh, verses beginning in verse 17. So let's take a look at that. Well, it says in verse 17, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. And so Paul here is confronting this idea that justification, what we've just been talking about, encourages sin, that it's cheap grace, uh, that somehow we are justified by faith, but then go out and live however you want, right? Yeah. Paul's strongly arguing that that's not... Um, the the idea here Paul argues against trusting in Christ and then returning to live like your acceptance before God is based on keeping the law kind of returning back to that so again clearly Paul stating that we did not find salvation through the law but instead through faith in Christ Uh, and that's clear from these previous verses we've been talking about and now continuing after we've been saved sometimes there's this pull to want to go back to that treadmill right (laughs) Uh, to go back under that law and that would mean that Christ alone is not enough to save us a classic verse, that when I think about this idea, is Romans 6, 1 and 2, right? that uh, Paul writes, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it, right? So once we're saved by by faith, why would you go back under the law and, and go back to what we were in before? And so, in, in in fact, in order to be justified in Christ, really we abandon our faith in the law, right? To be reduced to sinners that, that need salvation. And so the sort of the question here is, does that way make... Christ make us, in that way, does Christ make us sinners? That's sort of the question being asked here. And of course, the strong reaction is certainly not, right? Christ is not a servant of sin by causing us to abandon the law as a way of justification. Again, this is not an encouragement to sin or to find a cheap grace at all. And Paul, in fact, goes on there in verse 18 to explain that if we rebuild and go back under the law, what was already torn down, then all we're doing is really making ourselves transgressors. And so, sort of to summarize all that, we do not find salvation through the law, but but through faith in Christ alone. Uh, to go back and live as the law, as as if the law saves us after we've been saved through faith in Christ, according to Paul, would be to rebuild the system that was that was torn down. So, uh, we're justified by faith and not the law, uh, but we need to not just understand that it's at an, an intellectual level, but really, really make it our own, make that faith our own. Okay, so going back to the main idea that our relationship with God, it's, it's based on our position, not our performance. Yeah. All right, so that sort of brings us up to verse 19. you want to take it from yeah. there and, and dig into these next few verses and we'll see this next declaration?
1: That's, that's huge, this first declaration, I am justified, now spills over into the second declaration that we see from Paul, where uh, he says, I am alive. And uh, that is, the, everything that you just said, that is a giant theological mm-hmm. position to take, to say, no, I've been justified. That is huge. And so um, those verses, I mean, Paul's doing a lot of mental gymnastics and and he eventually, I think he just like builds and builds until he gets to this crescendo um, in verse 19 and 20 where it's just like, he just explodes. And so um, let's pick it up in verse 19. Here's his second declaration. Um, The second declaration is I am alive, all right? And so follow along, take a look in verse 19. He says, for through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. Okay, it's about to get even weirder. Verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So there's a lot going on here. Um, when we take a look at these words, when we hear I am alive, he's talking death, he's talking life, he uses the phrase crucifixion. Um, so what's, what's happening here? Um, a lot of what Paul's doing is he's, he's deliberately trying to shock us. Um, This text should shock us and it should shock us for a number of reasons one simply because he uses the phrase crucifixion And he says I I I have been crucified with Christ and we are meant to hear that as this like wait What like you've been crucified? That what do you mean In, in what sense obviously not literally, but what what is that? And then it should shock us, secondly, because it almost sounds he's doing a little double talk from where he was last week. We were in Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul says, we were dead and now I'm alive. And now he says, well, I've been crucified. And we're going like, what is happening here? This sounds like you're contradicting yourself. What do you mean that you are crucified in Christ? And um, so it's interesting. The first thing he says right there in verse 19, he comes back to this idea of the law. Yeah. And so he says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. So what's that about? Um, There's this great little poem by uh, John Bunyan. If you know John Bunyan, um, he's the author of The Pilgrim's Progress. um, This great book, I think it's like one of the highest selling books in the English language. And uh, I've read it, it's this giant allegory and metaphor of the Christian life. But he wrote this wonderful little four line poem. Um, and it talks about the difference between trying to earn my relationship and, and and God's pleasure over me through the law versus the gospel. And here's what he says. He says, Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. But better news, the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. And I love that idea. Yeah. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Like, I. It gives me not what it tells me to do. I cannot do it. And then he says, but better news, the gospel brings. It bids me fly, which is way more than you'd ever imagine possible. It says, bids me fly, but then also gives me wings. Um, and like I get goosebumps just thinking about that, because everything that God asks me to do, I could not do on my own. Um I need someone to give me something else. I need, I need something in me to be changed, and I need to put that faith in something else. And so, um, specifically, someone else. And so this is where he's, he's saying here, um, I died to the law. In what way? Does that mean that, that the law served no purpose? I think this is something we, we do need to address here, because... Um, if you're reading this or if you can imagine going back to the Galatians and they're going, what did, did God make a mistake in the Old Testament in giving us the law and, and all these rules and regulations and, and practices that he gave Moses and his people, did God somehow make a mistake? And now the New Testament is like the plan B. And I think that's actually a, a short-sighted way of viewing this. Um, Christ accomplished obedience to God through the law and because of his obedience, like you said, the word righteousness, his righteousness is now mine mm-hmm. when I put my faith in his work. And, and that's really what he's getting at there. The law, Christ's obedience to the law, is what yeah. proved um, that the law actually had value um, because Christ fulfilled it. And Jesus even said that. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. Like, I didn't come to kick this thing to the curb. God doesn't make mistakes. I came to fulfill it and then give you what you never could have dreamed of, which is complete righteousness. And I love how you said that right up front, that no one's more justified than another yeah. person. I think it's beautiful. Um, because if, if, if you are in Christ, you are justified. Now, I do wanna stop here because we're about to pivot. Um, most of what we said here is kinda of in the rearview mirror, and, and we're gonna get into verse 20, but I wanna to talk to some of you who are watching this morning, and, and maybe you go, this is not me. Like, that, that sounds really good. I would love to be free and clear. Um, to the creator God of the universe, but I've sinned and I've messed up and I know it. Um, and so some of you watching right now, you're not justified. And so you do live in this tension of like, am I, am I pleasing God? Do, does the creator of the universe look at me as a sinner or as a righteous son or daughter? That is a question that you have to square with. Um, if you get nothing out of where we're heading today, um, you've got to square with that question. Um, and, and there's one way through that. And you've presented it, and I'm going to say it again. It's through Jesus alone. You don't have to go to confession. You don't have to perform works. You don't have to be a good little Christian. I think we live in this tension where you know we've got like maybe if at the end of my life if it's 51% good and 49% bad, then God's going to go, well, you did pretty good, Ryan. Like come on in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not how that works. Um, it's all or nothing. And it's 100% righteous or zero percent righteous. Um, no one is is in the middle. And so where does that 100% righteousness come from? Now this is where this gets really awesome because yeah. here's Galatians 2.20 and it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. So I stole it from you this week. I mean, I just, <laughs> I grabbed it. Like, I want to I teach this one. So here's where Paul continues. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'll stop right there. There's, there's three Ps that I want to take a look at when it comes to, to sin and justification. Um, We've been freed from sin's penalty, upon our justification. Um, We have also been freed from sin's power as we grow in Christ. And then one day, we will be finally free from sin's presence, the complete presence of sin in our life, that's that's when we get to heaven. And so to hit that again, there's sin's penalty, like no one's got nothing on you if you're hidden in Christ. Um, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right, and my righteousness and my, my standing before God is based upon my position, not my performance. But then that second thing is I grow as a Christian. I'm free from sin's power. Um, it's like Charles Wesley said it this way when um, there's this great old hymn, And Can It Be? And he, he described it like this. He says, Long mine imprisoned prison spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night thine eye diffused a quickening ray i woke the dungeon flamed with light my chains fell off my heart was free i rose and went forth and followed thee that's what he's talking about there this idea that sin has no power over me i want to come back to that in a minute because that's a debatable point uh, because you're hearing this right now and you're going yeah but i do sin what does that mean does that mean i'm not saved maybe you're, you're listening this morning and you go no i'm I'm caught in sin right now. I have an addiction that I can't kick. I've got secrets that I can't share. Um, We've got these things that we lock away in these darkened closets in our heart. And you go, the the deepest fear is, does that mean I'm not saved if I sin? And we're gonna come back to that in a minute. But this this third P is this idea that one day we will be free from sin's presence in our life. And that's called glorification. That's the big theological word there. So justification, sanctification, glorification means one day sin isn't gonna be around you anymore. That's called heaven. That's when we're brought fully back to the presence of God um, after we die. Um, But we have that as a hope to look forward to. But verse 20, Paul pivots a little bit. And he says, I've been crucified with Christ. Okay, that's past justification, free from sin's penalty. But now he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love that faith shows up there again because I want to answer that question or just dialogue a little bit about it when we say that I've been free from sin's power. So little story in my life. Um, you know, I was saved when I was seven. Um, we were watching a Billy Graham crusade in my mom and dad's living room in our house in Greentown, and there was a number on the screen, and so I called it, and I talked to somebody, and Um, The next Sunday I went forward in church. I walked the aisle and I met and talked and prayed with somebody. And it was very clear to me like, yeah, this is is truth. But then for me, I didn't grow one step as a follower of Jesus from that point to like the time I was like 16 or 17. And I didn't know what it meant to walk with Jesus. And so Galatians 2.20 was not true of me. Sin still had a lot of power in my life. I didn't know what it meant to to be dead to sin. And so that's when he says, no, 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 no the life that I now live in the flesh. So whatever years that you have been given by God in this earth, he says, you need to live that life by faith in the Son of God, who loved you and gave himself for you. And so it's not just that you have faith in Christ's completed work on your behalf that restores your relationship to God, but it also makes your life meaningful. And like if I could like reach through this phone to talk to every one of <laughs> you right now, that's the, the biggest plea I have from my heart for you is I know that some of you go, my life is not meaningful. And my word to you is, that's because you're trying to live on your own steam. And you're living with faith in yourself. And my, my strong little preaching angle in that is, drop that charade, because it isn't working. It's not worth it. You can do way better. And here's Jesus going, look, you can do it your way, or you can do it my way. And he goes, your way is going to cost you a ton. My way is free. Just follow me. And so when I hear this phrase, I'm alive, I love that. And so one final thought, and then we'll we'll get into this third declaration. We've got, I'm justified, I'm alive. I want to encourage you, go back to verse 20 sometime this week on your own. And this would be a great thing to do um, as parents if you're watching with your kids. And instead of saying, I, in verse 20, say your name Mm -hmm. in there. So, if you're a believer, it, it, it sounds like this. It says, Brannon has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer Brannon who lives, but Christ who lives in Brannon. And the life Brannon now lives in the flesh, Brannon lives by faith in the Son of God, right? Who loved me and gave himself. That, those are powerful truths. And so, that's just one place I'd leave it to, when we're talking about this idea that our relationship with God is based on our position and not our performance. Um, that is all locked up for you in Christ, if you know him. Um, and so that's that second declaration. Why don't you kick us into the third one? Yeah,
2: thank you. Yeah, so we've seen that I am justified. And as Brandon mentioned, uh, I am alive. And now we'll move on to this final declaration. And that's found in verse 21. And that is that I am free. Right? There's incredible freedom in Christ. What was happening, uh, some of the people Paul was writing to here in Galatians were trying to mix law and grace. And Paul says that's impossible, right? Mm. You can't do that. (laughs) To go back to the law means to set aside the grace of God. In fact, trying to return to the law, really what he goes on to say here is that it nullifies the cross. Let's take a look in verse 21. Paul writes and says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose.
1: Mm.
2: Law says that I must do something to be saved. Where grace says that Jesus Christ has already done everything, and I simply respond in faith to that free gift, right? which is incredible. Uh, If salvation is of works, then Jesus dying on the cross was in vain. right? It was a useless tragedy. tragedy, it was without cause, it was for no purpose, which is incredible. But here's the thing, the purpose of the cross has not failed, that's incredible, right? Jesus Christ died in our place because of our sin, because our works could not make us righteous. Paul beautifully, beautifully summarizes it in uh, Romans eleven six, 6, where he says, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Mm. So salvation must either be by the works of the law or through faith in what Jesus accomplished. It, it can't be this combination. And we've seen clearly from this passage that it cannot be through the works of the law. It can only be through faith in what Jesus accomplished. But trying to do this hybrid where we mix it just doesn't work, Mm -hmm. right? There are two mutually exclusive teachings prevalent in the world today, right, that we see. Mm -hmm. Um, One says that salvation is by human merit, um, and and the other that salvation is by grace and it is a gift of God. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And so I think what this verse is saying is that Jesus is not part Savior, right? He's either all or nothing. Uh, and we can be confident today that he is all that we need in this life and in eternity and um, man i just think if there was another way to save sinners then god would have could have used that that method right if a law or a religion could have been given to save sinners then god would have given it and not having to give in his son but the only way an infinite god could save us was for him to send his son to die in our place and he was willing to make that supreme sacrifice because of his incredible love for us, which is just incredible, right? When you let those truths sort of settle in. Um, Today, though, we, like these Galatians, we may still be in danger of treating Christ's death as really having no purpose and really with no meaning, right? As we've said, today, Jewish legalism isn't really what we struggle with typically, uh, but what we often do uh, struggle with is that we somehow believe that we can earn God's favor by what we do in in sort of our context today. Uh, And in so doing, we are not trusting completely in Christ's work On the cross and so again this verse says if man if we could be saved by doing good then christ didn't need to die but the death burial and resurrection was the only way to salvation and it truly does set us free Um, and it really is um, the thing that allows us to have that relationship with him and to walk with him as you said and so yeah so um send it back to you here and sort of wrap up this uh for this text today.
1: I love that and I, this is this is a tough text like we said but I think you've unfolded it very beautifully for us so thank you for your diligence today you. Ryan. That's yeah, cool. Um, so the question is where do we go? What, what should this do for us? And so how should we leave this text and how does it impact my Monday? And um, I'm going to give you a couple things. One um, this text should give you a profound sense of contentment and I don't mean complacency, like like you said, we don't just sit back resting resting in cheap grace. This should give me contentment, that's the first thing. Um, to know that my salvation is secure uh, because I'm not trusting myself, I'm trusting Christ. I'm trusting his word. It should give me contentment. It should also give me courage, I think, because now we go to war against sin in my life. And now I take a look at my sin differently not as the thing that prevents a relationship with God, but I take a look at my sin as the thing that grieves the heart of God, and I wanna, I wanna do battle against my sin yeah. with courage. And so I, I'm, I'm like, let's get in on this thing, and let's talk about these tough things like addiction that come up in our life and in places where I know that I'm, I'm violating God's heart. Um, it gives me courage, but then I think it also gives me courage and it emboldens mission. And so, I don't know, I, I was looking for like a third seed when <laughs> I was putting that together just to give you those, but sorry, you make one up on your own. Um, like, what, what does it mean to say like, okay, if, if my neighbors right now don't know this, um, that, man, w- what am I doing holding on to this? Um, you know, the, uh, There's an there's avowed atheist, his name is Penn Gillette, and uh, he put the question this way. He said, if you know, like, basically he said, I don't believe that Christians are, are for real. And someone said, well, what do you mean? And he says, no, I don't believe that you're for real. He says, because if I know that I have the answer to this thing called eternal life and to escape damnation, how much do I have to hate you to not tell you about that? Yeah. And I go, man, that, that's, that's pretty indicting for me. And so this, this, this causes me to live on mission because um, I'm not going to be hypocritical and say, man, look at me. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm righteous. No, my righteousness has been given to me because yeah. of God, um, or because of God's grace through faith in Jesus. And um, so it doesn't, it doesn't point to me, it points higher to me than me, it points to yeah. Jesus. And so that's, I, I hope that's how we leave this text today. Um, it's Sunday, and um, you know, I know many of you have plans today for your family, and I hope you go and enjoy them, but I hope that we leave this text firmly convinced in the supremacy of Christ um, as the atoning sacrifice, and, and that our faith is in His works and in His obedience to accomplish righteousness that we could never get on our own that our relationship with God isn't based just on my performance, but it's based on my position. And um, so thank you so much. Ryan, why don't you, you pray for us, and um, and then we'll close up today.
2: Yeah, sounds great. Let's pray together. Um, and Heavenly Father, uh, we are so thankful uh, for the opportunity that, that we can spend um, together as a church family in, in this form, Lord. And we just pray, um, Lord, that we really would um, see that, that our relationship with you, God, comes through our position, not, not our performance, Lord, that it is not um, our works that make us right with you, but really, it truly is, God, your gift. Um, it truly is faith in what Christ has done for us, Lord, and, and as we've said, that should really encourage us to, to go um, and tell other people to live on mission, um, to tell people about the, the hope that we have in you, and Lord, we also, uh, at this time, just want to take a moment and pray for uh, for our nation, for the world, for um, just all that's going on um, around us, Lord, that we would um, just trust in you, that, that even as we've talked today about uh, about faith uh, in you, that we would continue day to day to place our faith really in, in knowing that you are sovereign and that you are in control and that we can trust you, and that we would use these opportunities um, to, to live on mission, to go and to, to help others and to to share this incredible gift that that we have seen and received and go share that with others so that they can uh, receive it as well. And Lord, thank you again for this time. We pray for our church family as well and just that we will um, trust in you and recognize uh, your greatness and your goodness in our lives and it is in Jesus'
1: name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Have a great Sunday. We love you.
0: Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.